announcement, let me just mention a couple of things in particular to pray for uh, this morning. First of all, we can pray for Pastor uh, Collins. Uh, he is preaching up at Christ Church in Greenfield, uh, which is pastored by uh, Pastor Nathan Tomlinson, who's an uh, OPC pastor, and uh, we certainly pray for uh, um, Rodney's ministry up there this morning. Uh, and then continue to pray for Pastor Brad Evans as he ministers at Covenant Church in Millers Falls and is preaching there uh, this morning as well. Uh, also, we can be in prayer for our Southern New England Presbytery as it has its stated uh, fall meeting this coming Saturday in Marlboro, Massachusetts. So I think it's, uh, we'll have uh, five different people uh, from our own church uh, going uh, uh, and so um, pray for us as we uh, do the work of the presbytery, pray for our regional uh, church. Uh, and then also let's be in prayer for Sean Larkin, uh, who is having uh, knee surgery a week from tomorrow. And so let's be especially pray, uh, in prayer for him. Well, let's uh, uh, now look to the Lord, our God, in prayer. Oh, gracious God in heaven, we bow in your presence. We thank you for your uh, tender mercies uh, to us. Uh, we thank you, O Lord, for your holy word. It is a word which is true in all of its parts. It is written by your own finger. It, is, it comes to us with the authority of the living God. It points us to the way of salvation it directs us as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path in the way that we should walk. It is a, um, it is a book which ultimately leads us uh, to the glories of heaven uh, itself. Uh, oh, how we love your word. Help us to love it more, we pray. Help us to prize it and treasure it. And to treasure it especially because it tells us about our gracious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who through his once-for-all work on Calvary has rescued us from all of our sins and has brought us into your kingdom and has delivered us from death and made us heirs of everlasting life. We praise you, O God, for this. You are a great and a glorious king, and we worship and adore you. We do pray as we just uh, uh, prayed or as we just uh, confessed together that you would lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us from evil. Lord, our God, we do face a great adversary, Satan. We are often drawn away by our sinful flesh. We find ourselves very weak. And Lord, we pray that you would uphold and sustain us and strengthen us against all temptation, that we might live holy and upright lives, which are, as it were, a testimony to the greatness of your gospel and to your changing work in our lives. Lord, help us to bear faithful witness to Jesus Christ. Grant, O Lord, that we would resist the temptation to conform to the world O Lord, renew our minds regularly according to your word. We pray, O God, that we would walk in all of your ways. We pray, O Lord, our God, that people would become converted through the ministry of this church. We pray for our covenant children as they grow up under the sound of the gospel included within the covenant community. We do pray, O Lord, our God, that as they hear this word, that their hearts would not be hardened, but rather receptive to your truth. Soften their hearts, make them sensitive to their sin and their need for a Savior. And might, O Lord, their parents' faith become their own as well. And grant, O Lord, that the children of this church would enjoy a lifetime of walking with you and then enter into glory. O oh God, do this, we pray. O oh Father in heaven, we do pray for the outreach of this congregation. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would uh, 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 speak gospel truth to our surrounding world. Help us, Lord, in the making of friendships and as we relate to co-workers and others within our uh, normal spheres of living, Lord, help us to bear witness to Jesus Christ. And grant, O oh Lord, that people would... Uh, take up invitations to come to church and to hear the gospel and would be changed by it. 
Lord, make us effective witnesses for uh, the Lord Jesus. God in heaven, we do pray that you'd bless this upcoming uh, English as a Second Language program. And we do pray that even this week, as advertising goes out throughout the community, uh, that many people would uh, pick these uh, brochures up and that they, O Lord, would decide to be a part of this. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would bring just the right people here. And and Father in heaven, we ask that you would use this, not only that we would develop relationships and help people learn English, but especially that we would uh, introduce them to the Savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Do this, we pray. O Lord, our God, we uh, do pray for uh, the various um, Bible studies of this church. We do think especially of the women's study that will begin tomorrow, and we ask that you would uh, especially uh, enlighten uh, Colleen uh, in uh, an understanding of your word, grant her wisdom to teach. We pray that you'd bless the fellowship among the ladies, that it would help to form deeper relationships and help each of them to walk more closely with you. Well, Father in heaven, we do pray for the Presbytery meeting this coming uh, Saturday. We thank you, O Lord, for the Presbyterian Church in America and Southern New England Presbyterian all the churches that are a part of this regional church in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. Gracious God in heaven, give to us wisdom as we make many decisions. O Father, as we look to examine new candidates for ministry, and uh, we pray, O God in heaven, that you, O O Lord our God, would... uh, 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 would, would bless these, uh, these efforts, O oh, oh, Father, and that you would uh, uh, continue to raise up faithful gospel ministers in this region. Lord, uh, might your blessing uh, be upon Ron Heald as he takes up the labors of a clerk of Presbytery, and upon uh, 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 me as, as, we take up, as I take up the labors of moderator of Presbytery. Give us wisdom in all of uh, uh, those tasks. We pray for Uh, Gabe Malloy, as he will be brought into this presbytery, examined and brought into it. And we pray, O Lord, our God, that you would bless that as well. Father in heaven, uh, uh, O Lord, might we as a church uh, be faithful, faithful to your scriptures. And might we uh, reach out uh, into this region with the good news of Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we uh, do pray for Sean Larkin as he prepares for this uh, knee replacement surgery. We ask that it would be successful and that he, he would heal and that there would not be any complications from it. We continue to plead, O oh Lord, for Doug Walters, asking, O oh Lord, that his life would be preserved, uh, that various kidney and liver functions and other things, other internal organs, Lord, would function correctly and that O Lord, that you would bless him in healing, and might it be even through this time of a tremendous suffering and trial, O Lord, that Doug and Kristen would know that you are with them and that they would find their faith in Jesus Christ uh, continuing to grow. And grant as well that they would be a witness uh, to your goodness with all with whom they come into contact. Provide for all of their needs, we pray, O Lord our God. O Father in heaven, we Uh, love you. We thank you uh, for this uh, privilege of continuing to meet together as a church. We pray that the gospel of Christ would be taken throughout the whole world, uh, that many would come to believe upon the Savior. Uh, Do uh, uh, give the help of your spirit, both to Pastor Rodney and to Pastor Brad Evans, as they uh, preach your word this morning. Uh, Lord, might that word be fruitful for your glory. And we do pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, we're going to continue in our uh, worship together. We're going to sing out of our new uh, Trinity Psalter hymnals, the Psalter Selection 32B. You'll remember again that the first 150 selections in this uh, hymnal are from the Psalms. And so in singing 32B, we are singing Psalm, the words of Psalm 32. Uh, so let's stand and sing uh, this hymn together. Yeah. 
that is uh, one of the great psalms of repentance that we find uh, in Holy Scripture speaking of the blessing of acknowledging our sin before the Lord, confessing it and knowing his forgiving uh, grace. And we're going to see that that actually does tie in uh, with today's sermon. I invite you to open with me uh, to the book of Revelation. Uh, We have been studying Revelation together. Today we come to Revelation chapter 12 and verses 7 through 17. Revelation 12 and verses 7 through 17. Last week's sermon was a bit of an introduction to this week's sermon. We last week considered three different significant characters that Revelation 12 brings forward. On the one hand, there is a woman we said, represents the church of Christ, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, There is, uh, as well, a dragon, a great red dragon, who very clearly represents Satan, or the devil, in his attack against Christ and against the church. And then the third character was that of a child, which the woman uh, delivered, this child being the Lord Jesus Christ, born in the line of Israel and born as a savior to defeat the devil. The devil tried to snatch up uh, this uh, male child who would rule the nations with a rod of iron, but he was unable to. In his attack against Christ, he was unsuccessful. But instead, we saw that in his death, resurrection, and ascension, that the Lord Jesus was caught up to God and to his throne, 
That is, even now, he is at the right hand of the Father, ruling all things, and he will soon come, about, soon, soon come again. And what about the church? Well, the church has now a place prepared in the wilderness for her, where she is nourished for 1,260 days. Well, this does take us now to Revelation uh, chapter 12 and verse 7. What we're going to see is that some of the same themes that we saw in verses 1 through 6 are going to be opened up in greater detail in verses 7 through 17. Uh, There's a sense in which verses 1 through 6, and especially verses 5 and 6, are kind of the Cliff Notes version of what's now going to follow in greater detail in verses 7 through 17. And that's what we're going to open up uh, in our passage today. Let's now hear God's word. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This ends this reading in God's word. Now let's uh, continue our worship by looking once again to the Lord in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the book of Revelation and the encouragement, the tremendous encouragement that it provides for the church of Jesus Christ in our wilderness years. Even, O Lord, as we look forward to that day when Christ shall return in glory and your kingdom be consummated, Grant, O Lord, that in this period we would be found faithful to you and to your word. Grant, O Lord, that we would uh, be covered by the blood of the Lamb, that we would bear a word of testimony, and that we would love not our lives even unto death, that we might walk in your ways and in the end conquer. Lord, we love you. Now teach us out of your word, words that we need to hear, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, our world's history has been marked by uh, various struggles. Uh, there have been uh, certainly a struggle for uh, various empires for dominance, a rise and demise of uh, various empires, whether you think of Roman empires or Ottoman empires or even the British Empire. Uh, As well, in our world, there have been ideological uh, struggles, a struggle for freedom versus uh, that of tyranny, for example. Uh, There have been ethical struggles in our world. How do we define what is right and what is uh, wrong? Uh, There are struggles that people have just on on a daily basis to simply survive, a struggle to find food or drink or shelter. There are psychological struggles Uh, that people have uh, as well. And we could go on and on. In many ways, uh, human existence in this world is that uh, marked by a struggle. Well, this passage uh, that we've opened 
here opens our eyes to a struggle that is even more cosmic and more significant, a struggle that, as it were, stands behind all other struggles as well. It is a struggle, ultimately, between Satan and God, or Satan especially, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come to rescue us uh, from Satan. And this passage gives us a window into the struggle and the result of this struggle that has the greatest impact and relevance to the way that we live our lives today. What I want to do now is to walk our way through this passage in order. We're going to do so under three different headings. Uh, the first thing that we're going to see is Satan is that Satan is thrown down from heaven. Satan is thrown down from heaven. That's in verses 7 through 9. And then secondly, uh, we're going to see that the angels and glorified spirits rejoice. That's verses 10 through 12. And then lastly, we're going to see uh, that the church on earth suffers from Satan's attack for a time but is protected and will prevail. And we find that in verses 12 through 17, that the church on earth suffers from Satan's attack for a time, but is protected and will prevail. Okay, so those three points give us a kind of narrative that this scripture or that this passage uh, lays before our eyes. Well, the first thing that we see in this narrative of the struggle between Satan and the Lord Jesus, is that Satan is thrown down uh, from heaven. Uh, behind all the drama of, uh, of the unfolding of human events, this passage describes for us a kind of warfare that has gone on in heaven. A war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. And so there are a couple of primary characters that are listed for us in this struggle. On the one hand is mentioned Michael. Now Michael is mentioned elsewhere in uh, the Bible. In Daniel 10 and verse 13, he is called one of the chief princes of the angels. And in the New Testament, in Jude verse 9 it describes Michael as an archangel who is disputing with the devil. And so Michael is clearly a leader among the vast armies of angels which do Christ's bidding and engage in his battles uh, in heaven. So there are ranks, there's an order to the angelic, uh, to angelic beings, and Michael is a very significant archangel. Here he's described Michael and all of his angel and all of the angels on the one hand. But who are they fighting against? Well, they are fighting against the dragon and his angels as well. Now, this, of course, is referring to Satan. He's explicitly uh, described that way uh, in, uh, in verse 9. Uh, he is a great enemy. Uh, to the Lord. In fact, let's look at that description in verse 9 because it gives us such a window into uh, Satan's character. Uh, he's told there that he is a great dragon. Last week we said the greatness of this dragon describes his might and his power that Satan has. Uh, he's described there as an ancient serpent. An ancient serpent means that, uh, uh, that the devil is uh, uh, a sly in his techniques. Sly as a serpent. He is uh, there called the devil. Uh, the devil is a word which means slanderer. That's exactly what Satan is. He seeks to destroy the reputation of God and of God's people. He's also described as Satan. Uh, the word Satan means adversary. And he is the adversary that seeks to destroy the Lord Jesus, and to destroy the church of, of, of Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the deceiver of the whole world, it says in verse 9. That is, he speaks lies to, to counter God's truth, seeking to deceive the entire world. He's also described a little later in verse 10 
as the one who accuses the brothers, accuses them day and night before God. That is, he brings accusations against those who are the Lord's people. So the variety of words here gives us a description of who Satan is. Uh, He's not some measly, inconsequential enemy, but rather he is one of extraordinary strength. He makes extraordinary claims. He seeks along with his demons for the ultimate prize. He wants to wrest control of the universe from God. He wants to be the one to determine the course of events and the destiny of human peoples. And he has waged this war, we are, uh, which is being described here, in heaven against Michael and against the angels. Well, what is this warfare exactly? Well, I'm not sure exactly when this warfare commenced that's being described here, but it really could be any time from uh, the fall of Satan and his angels and the entrance of sin into this world, any time up to, but certainly including, the life and ministry of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. It's interesting, actually, in the first chapter of Job, uh, you might recall there, that uh, even there, Satan appears in the throne room of God and makes an accusation against Job. It's a little window into what is uh, described here in Revelation uh, chapter 12. Uh, But the point is, is that the devil and his demons are using all of their strength and power not only to oppose the Lord Jesus Christ, but to do all kinds of warfare against uh, the living God. Well, who is going to win this war in the heavens? Well, the passage is very, very clear. And it is that Satan does not win. It says that the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down. And then it says again later in verse 9, he was thrown down to the earth. And again, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then it says later in verse 13, that when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth. Do you get it? The repetition is striking, isn't it? It's saying time and again, do you get this message that this dragon in his warfare against the living God has been defeated well at what point at what point of defeat is this talking about what where, when is this describing well some people maybe even you when you first read this chapter may have been thinking ah oh, this is referring to that time even before the creation of uh well uh, at that time uh, even before mankind had fallen into sin when satan became a fallen angel and began his rebellion against god that's what that's this describing well it's not It's not what this is getting at here. Uh, That can't be because it's saying here that he was in heaven accusing the brethren day and night. And with his downfall, the announcement in verse 10 is that the kingdom of God has been established. So this is not referring to the initial uh, rebellion of uh, Satan in which he uh, became a fallen angel. Uh, But rather, this being cast down to the earth, this downfall here is referring to that dramatic and decisive victory which Jesus Christ won over Satan at his incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension. Uh, This is referring to the victory which Christ won over Satan. And we know this in part from Uh, just the kind of parallel language that is used even by our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So in Luke chapter 10, in verses 17 through 20, Luke 10 in verses 17 through 20, uh, the Lord Jesus had sent out the 72 to be witnesses to him. And there we read that the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them these words. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
And then he says, of the authority that he has given them, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What is he saying? Well, Jesus is saying, by my coming and the establishment of my kingdom, I now see see Satan falling like lightning from heaven. And you, disciples, are demonstrating that victory in the authority that has been given you over these evil spirits. So, with the coming of Christ is this kind of victory. But then there's similar language in John chapter 12 and verse 31. John chapter 12 and verse 31. There we read uh, these words. He said, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Well, Jesus, again, is referring to his own redeeming work. And he's saying, now with my coming, the ruler of this world is going to be cast out. You see, similar language to that of being thrown down. It's the same idea. The idea is this, is that the accomplishment of Christ's saving work won a dramatic and decisive victory over Satan. A victory that renders Satan now to be a defeated foe. In his warfare in which Satan tried to gain dominance and wrest control from the living God, it was through the work of the Lord Jesus that victory was won over Satan. Well, you might ask the question then, well, in what way did Christ's work actually defeat Satan? Well, let me take you here to just a couple of additional passages uh, that answer that question. And one of them is actually found in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi ends your Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 3, in verses 1 through 4, we have described for us a very interesting scene. There in this vision of the prophet Zechariah, we are told, Zechariah 3 verse 1, that the Lord then showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Again, do you hear the parallels to Revelation 12? So here is Joshua, and here is Satan the accuser, ready to accuse Joshua. Jump ahead with me to verse 3. There it says that now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed in filthy garments. That represents his sinfulness. And yes, Satan can accuse us. We are sinners. We are unworthy of the presence of God. But then what happened to Joshua's filthy garments? We are told that the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And you see with that change of clothing, the filthy garments removed, the pure garments put on, Satan's accusations were silenced. And that's why he says in verse 2, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. And so how does Christ beat the accusing Satan? Well, part of it is through his own redeeming death, where he took our sins upon upon himself, suffered the wrath that was due them in our place so that we might be clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness. And the devil no longer has any accusation, no condemnation that he can bring against the people of God. And so the devil's mouth has been silenced and he's a defeated foe as a result of Christ's finished work. But one other passage I want to take you to that shows how it is that Christ defeats Uh, the devil in this battle. And it is that of Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 2 verses 14 and 15 in your New Testaments. And there we read this, that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, 
he himself, that is, Jesus Christ himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so here it, de- here it describes the purpose of Christ's incarnation in terms of his defeating the devil. And it says that Christ took on our nature and died in our place so that death for us might forever be destroyed and we might be delivered into everlasting life. And so do you see, Satan's goal is that we would be destroyed. But Christ Jesus, by his work, has made it so that our sins are no longer counted against us, but we are now delivered from death into everlasting life. And thus, Satan and all of his purposes is destroyed. And so, dear friends, it is for this reason that it is with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ that Satan, in all of his ploys, in all of his tactics, is defeated. His purposes are frustrated, and he is cast down to the earth. What a wonderful truth this is, then, dear friends. It's taught us in Revelation uh, chapter 12 that indeed, even though the devil has warred against the heavenly hosts, that even in that warfare, that the devil himself ultimately is cast down. He does not win, he is a defeated foe. There is coming a day, dear friends, in which he is going to be cast into that lake of fire. But no, even now, since the accomplishment of Christ's finished work, the devil has been cast down from heaven to earth. He is a defeated foe. I think this this fact that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who ultimately uh, defeats Satan uh, has great significance for us. You know, perhaps some of you, uh, you hear uh, terms like uh, a spiritual warfare. And when you hear about kind of spiritual warfare, uh, your mind begins to run all sorts of different directions. And you begin to think about exorcisms and uh, these kind of repetitious formulas that you need to repeat to, to rid someone of satanic influence. And you, think, you begin to think almost when you hear those terms of something almost akin to a kind of spiritual magic. But friends... What the Bible teaches about spiritual warfare is this, is that the Lord Jesus Christ has defeated Satan. He is a defeated foe. And how do we gain victory over Satan? It is by clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his finished work. When faced with Satan and his many temptations, look to Jesus Christ and rest in him because he is the one who has accomplished the victory. We're going to sing a hymn after our uh, sermon this morning. And the, third, the second stanza of that hymn says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. When Satan tempts you, when Satan's active against you, what are you to do? It says, Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him, Christ, and pardon me. That's how we answer the devil's temptations. When he rages against us, let us remember that he is a defeated foe, defeated by the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is cast down as a result of it. So that's the first point that we see in our sermon today. We see, indeed, that Satan is uh, thrown down from heaven. But now, secondly, secondly, I want us to consider that the angels and glorified spirits rejoice. The angels and glorified spirits uh, rejoice. And we see this now beginning in verse 10. Verses 10 through the first part of uh, verse 12. 
Now with the defeat of Satan, we're told that all heaven cries out with a loud cry. And indeed, the theme here is, is found in verse 12 when it says, Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Because Satan has been cast down, it is a time for rejoicing, a time for celebration that the devil no longer has his way. The, uh, the writer Doug Kelly, who... Um, uh, still living as a, a seminary professor, but uh, Doug Kelly speaks of a time when he grew up. Uh, he grew up in a, in a conservative uh, southern town in North Carolina. Uh, it was a town that actually, during his growing up years, forbade all dancing. Uh, but then, uh, after World War II ceased, uh, the ban was lifted for a few days so that the entire town could celebrate. What an what a interesting thought that is. You know, perhaps you've seen uh, videos even of, of those days at the end of World War II and kind of the, the grand parades in New York and just the mayhem of, of celebration and uh, people kissing each other in the streets and hugging one another and celebrating over the victory that had been won. Well, it's something of that picture that we have here in heaven of a grand rejoicing, a loud voice in heaven declaring that the victory has been won. And we are told, therefore, rejoice, O heavens. Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. There's an even, as it were, greater joy, sheer unabated joy that occurs now in heaven with the overthrow of Satan. And it describes in verses 10 and 11... Uh, the source of this joy. It's really a threefold source to this joy. In verse 10, it says, first of all, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. It's saying that now, with Christ's finished work, the kingdom of God is now established. Christ, who, is, who has died, risen, and ascended on high, is now the one who has salvation and power and the kingdom is in his name. The victory has been won and accomplished in Christ Jesus. The establishment of Christ's unassailable kingdom is a reason for joy. But the second reason for joy then is given in verse 10. It is for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Again, this is the idea that the overthrow of Satan, the one who accuses us, has now, uh, has now occurred. Satan, that deadly menace, he can no, no longer provide lasting harm to the people of God. His accusations against us can no longer stick because we are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And though Satan does continue to rage, and we're going to see that in a few minutes, he does continue to rage. He will not win, and he cannot gain the victory because of what the Lord Jesus has done. And so we are to rejoice because of the establishment of Christ's unassailable kingdom, because secondly, of the overthrow of Satan, the accuser of the brethren. But then thirdly, we are to rejoice because of the glorification of redeemed sinners. Look with me at verse 11. And they, here speaking about Sinners redeemed, and they have conquered him. How? How have they won the victory over Satan? By three things, it says. First of all, by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb covering their sins. That blood that Zechariah spoke of, the filthy garments gone, the blood of Jesus now covering us, his perfect, uh, right, his, his blood and righteousness now being our covering. And so this answers Satan's accusations against us. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb. And so no charge can be brought against us. But then secondly, it says, they have conquered by the word of their testimony. That is, that here are people, because Satan is destroyed, who have maintained the testimony of God's truth even up till their death. No matter how many lies Satan fed them, he was not able to overcome, for they have faithfully testified to the truth as it is in Jesus. 
They have not given in to Satan's lies. But then the third thing about these glorified spirits is this. For they have loved not their lives even unto death. You know, one of Satan's real tools is he tempts us with the carrot, as it were, of self-preservation. Compromise here in order to preserve your popularity. Compromise uh, there in order to preserve your income. Don't be outspoken for Christ in order to preserve your life against a persecutor's sword. But dear friends, since Christ has come and we belong to him, we love the Lord Jesus Christ even more than we love our own lives. And so though Satan tempts us with that, uh, with that carrot of self-preservation, Nonetheless, we love the Lord Jesus Christ even more, and we know that the way to find true life, eternal life, is by being willing to lose our lives, to lose our reputations, our livelihood if need be, even to lose our lives to death for the sake of Jesus Christ that we might find life. And do you see that's what, how it's describing these glorified uh, spirits? It's saying that they did not love their own lives. They loved Christ more and they were willing to die for him. And by that willingness, they show that Satan no longer has a dominion. So I think there's actually in verse 11 here just a beautiful picture that it's actually these glorified saints in heaven are one of the greatest public demonstrations, as it were, that Satan no longer is conquering that Satan has not won, that the victory is not his, because he was not able to defeat them and bring them to death, but rather they have conquered by the blood of the Lamb, by the testimonies that they bore, by loving not their lives, even unto death, they showed that Satan is not in control. He does not win. But we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think there is... Perhaps no greater celebration of Satan's demise than the funeral of a Christian man or woman. That when we come here and we we gather, when when somebody dies, we, we believe that that person, that their soul has departed and is now in the presence of God. They're with the Lord and Satan has not won. And it's beautiful. And that's what these glorified spirits are doing. They are rejoicing at the demise of Satan. It's, it's as it were, the Lord saying, look, here, look at these fully redeemed sinners saved by me. Look at them. They are proof that Satan is no longer in, that Satan is not in control. What a beautiful testimony that is. And so here we see that the angels and the glorified spirits rejoice. But now the third thing that we see in our passage today is that the church on earth suffers from Satan's attack for a time, but after suffering is uh, uh, protected and provided for. That the church on earth suffers from Satan's attack for a time, but is nonetheless protected and provided for. And we see this from verse, the last part of verse 12 down through the end of the chapter. It says there, after telling the heavens to rejoice, it then goes on to say, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. What an interesting phrase. It's saying that Satan knows that he's a defeated foe. Satan knows the truth. He knows the gospel even better than you and I do. He knows it. He knows that his time is short. But friends, that has even made him, as it were, more wrathful towards the people of God. And he vents that rage against the church. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued who? The woman who had given birth to the male child. Do you remember who that woman is? It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's the people of God. And now, having been unable to defeat Christ himself, he now turns his rage to the church of the living God. 
And he battles against her. But even as Satan battles against the church, we know that the church is still the object of Christ's special love. And the Lord is going to provide for her. And that's what verse 14 describes. The woman was given the two wings of the great eagle. Uh, That's a reference back to Exodus 19. Uh, Before the giving of the Ten Commandments, the Lord said that he bore Israel on eagles' wings through that wilderness. It, It shows the way that the Lord provided for his people in their wilderness wanderings. And then it says, not only did I give you the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time. It's saying that this wilderness is going to be a place where we will be nourished. Just like in the wilderness in the Old Testament, they received uh, the manna from the Lord and he provided for their needs. So the Lord continues to provide for the church while we face Satan's uh, attacks. Uh, The Lord provides for us, and he does it for a time and times and half a time. Uh, This is the same time period that's now been used several times in chapters 11 and 12, uh, described either as 42 months or 1,260 days, or or three and a half years here. Time, one, times, that's two more, and half a time, that's three and a half. And the idea is as we've seen this used time and again in chapters 11 and 12, that three and a half years, 1,260 days, 42 months, all the same amount, refers to, that, to this brief time between the two comings of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a time that we're in the wilderness, but the time is going to be cut short. It's going to end. There's an end time to it, as it were. And so for this brief time, We now exist in the wilderness of this world, nourished by the Lord, objects of Satan's rage. And that's what we read of in verse 15, the way that the serpent rages against the church. The serpent, it says, poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Satan's going to use all of his devices to try to sweep the church away. The flood just representing uh, just any number of the ways that Satan attacks the church. Attacks the church by false teaching. Attacks the church by causing bitterness or causing rancor within the life of the church. Attacks the church by tempting it with worldliness or by tempting it with apostasy. By tempting Christians to be selfish and to not look out for the interests of others. All of these are attacks of the evil one that come, as it were, like a flood from his mouth. But we read that this flood does not ultimately sweep the true church away. Verse 16, the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth. The earth here, as, a, as, an, as it were, an instrument under the hand of Almighty God. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. No matter how Greatly, Satan rages against us. The Lord is still able to protect and preserve his people. And he'll use any means to do so. That's what that's teaching us. The Lord is yet more powerful than this dragon. And so the dragon's efforts against the church being frustrated. It then goes on, verse 17, to say that then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now you might ask the question, I thought the woman was the church, so who are these women's children? And I think it's just a way of describing Christians now as individuals. The woman referred to the church, as it were, as the institution the church of Jesus Christ, that ultimately will never pass away. But now it's saying Satan attacks not only the church as a whole, but attacks us even as individual Christians. That there are times in which you will feel that all of the fury of Satan is being directed against you as an individual. You are seeking to keep the commandments of God and to walk according to his ways, and yet Satan is waging war with you. He's furious and making war on the rest of the woman's offspring, those of us who keep the commandments and hold to the testimony 
of Jesus. I wonder, do you sometimes feel that? Feel that rage of Satan? Friends, the message of this passage is again so abundantly clear. It was meant to encourage the church in the first century. And it's meant to encourage us as Christians today. No matter how greatly Satan rages, he is a defeated foe. The Lord is going to provide for and protect his people. He will nourish you and keep you. It doesn't mean that you won't feel some body blows, as it were, from Satan. You're going to feel the effect of his warfare. But the Lord has his hand upon you. What can I say then finally by way of application? As we experience the continued rage and fury of Satan in our own lives as Christians, let me just say three different things to you very practically. The first is this, is that it is a plea for watchfulness. Watchfulness. This chapter, as it were, by unveiling this cosmic scene, reminds us that there is a real Satan who is at work. This Satan has sought the overthrow of the kingdom of God. He has sought to destroy the Christ child. And that same Satan, who so infuriated Herod that he went after the went after the Christ child. That Satan who filled Judas's heart that he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver, that same Satan is now directed against you, the church of Jesus Christ. And he's going to use his many devices, his many ploys, his many strategies against you. You and I need to be watchful against it. You forget Satan at your own peril. Oh, friends, let us be watchful. Let us see his hand behind the temptations that we feel. Let us see his hand behind the lies that we are tempted to embrace. Oh, dear friends, Satan is at work. Be watchful. But the second thing that I can say to you is this. It's a plea for resistance. If the first is a plea for watchfulness, now a plea for resistance. A plea for resistance. You can resist the devil. The scriptures say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And why can you do it? Because you are in the Lord Jesus Christ who has won the victory. You belong to him. Christ has defeated Satan. Though Satan is powerful, Christ is more powerful, yet greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So resist the devil one. Resist the evil one. Don't give up the fight. How do you resist it? You resist the evil one by praying, Lord, do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You resist the evil one by being in his word. You resist the evil one by sitting under the ministry of his word. You resist the evil one by forming Christian friendships and fellowship. These are ways through these means of grace that you resist the evil one. You resist the evil one by not believing his lies, by not giving in to his temptations. And you can do that by the grace and strength of the Lord Jesus. Do not forget that he is a defeated foe. Look to the Lord for help and resist. But if first of all, I've given you a plea for watchfulness and secondly, a plea for resistance, my last word of application is this. It is a plea for repentance, a plea for repentance. Because, dear friends, while still in this wilderness, you and I still suffer with indwelling sin. And the devil is going to rage against us. And there are times when you are going to give in to the devil's temptations. And the devil is tricky because what he does is this. He tempts you and says, it's not a big deal if you sin. But then once you fall into that sin, he tempts you by saying, you've blown it all. There's no way back. And what you need to remember, friends, is that the devil does not have the final word. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are covered by his blood. And there is a way back to God when we fall and when we fail. And it is the way of repentance. 
And so when it seems like Satan has had the upper hand in your life, what are you to do but to cry out to God, Lord, I have sinned against you. Would you forgive my sin? Isn't that the theme of Psalm 32 that we sang earlier? When I kept silent, my bones ached. I was filled with grief. But dear friends, when I cried out to the Lord, he forgave me, forgave all of my iniquities. And isn't that the truth? Christ Jesus has defeated Satan, how? By dying for his sinful people. And so when you sin, come to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith. Look up to him and say, now Lord, help me to stand by your mercy against the evil one. And he will help you. And that's the good news. What a picture this has given us into this cosmic warfare. What a cause of rejoicing that Satan indeed has been thrown down. Let us rejoice together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, for what Revelation chapter 12 reveals uh, for us today, that Satan is a defeated foe, and we ought to rejoice in this. And yet we do face many trials of various kinds, and Satan's temptations rage against us. And yet, O Lord, help us in such times to remember that we have a Savior who is greater yet. Lord, our God in heaven, Cause us to turn our eyes upon you, we pray. Oh, how we love you. Thank you for all that you have done for us in 